This week's podcast is part two of a conversation with Jeff Bassmeyer. The first episode came out on December 14th and was mostly about succession planning and leadership. Definitely go back and give that a listen if you haven't already. But in this episode, Jeff and I delve into his company's growth and building out his newest showroom, which I might add just won the Showroom Design Award from Jacuzzi. Enjoy. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. So when did you guys bring on hot tubs? Uh, So far, I've heard a really interesting product mix. We were discussing that, gosh, my mom and I were trying to figure that out not that long ago. And we believe it was around 1986. Okay. Well, pretty, that's uh, still pretty early in the hot tub game, I feel like, to have a, yeah, have, be selling yeah. spas. Yeah. And it wasn't like we are today. I think it was four tubs, something along sure. those lines. It's yeah. like anything else. Still a relatively new category at that point. Portable spas, that was really in the 70s that it started to pop up. And so, yeah, in the 80s, you're still convincing people it's something that they need. On that note, be very careful if you're going to bring on a product. Decide before you bring it on that you're going to be successful with it or don't bring it on. Because if you're going to, if you're going to, to dip your toe in the water and you're going to bring on just a smidgen of it, you're going to lose. You got to go in and be in it. You've got to have the big display of it. You've got to have a good inventory of it. Otherwise, it looks like the sideshow that you're making it and your customers yeah. see that and either sell it or don't. But don't dabble. And so many sales reps, even to this day, if you'll just bring on this part of my line, nobody. If I can't be successful with the whole line, I'm not going to bring on that part of it because then I'm dabbling and I'm doing, I'm going against my own foundation and I know it's not going to work because the benefit of being a bigger egg distributor is I get to see the successful dealers are the dealers that buy in at the high level to put up the big display. Those are our big movers. Absolutely. The guys, well, yeah, let's put it over here in the corner. I'll give you four feet. Don't sit back with very few exceptions that you're in such a remote rural area where you've got one store that you go to for everything. Okay. It makes sense there. But if you're in any level of a metro, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and fast forward in, into the day, we kind of left off this. Okay. So we had jump ship and buys this fire station. That's location one, location two. And then he gets into wholesale and he buys an old furniture warehouse across the street from their fire station and then decides that all of the shopping centers are moving east, very far east, and he needs to go there too. And so they rent a building about four properties up from where we sit today, and that became their east side location. So they had dual locations for a little while. And then they took this giant leap of faith and they built their first store dedicated to themselves. 
which sits next door to the building that I'm in today. And that was in 86. And that's why we think it's only brought on hot tubs. And yeah. I was born in 83 and I have these like snapshots of that yeah. happening. I can remember like when the counter was being built, I can remember the framing before it was covered in whatever sheathing they put on it. So I, I have very few memories of the building going up, but I do remember. And then eventually the West Side location didn't make sense anymore. And, and we ran out of room in what was a 5,000 square foot building when they started. And we put an addition on the back of that. But within that 5,000 square foot was a warehouse, was our accounting staff, was our whole showroom. And so all of these, so first thing that happens is the warehouse gets turned into showroom and we build a new warehouse into the back of the building. And then there was a duplex house that sat behind our showroom that Dan had the opportunity to buy. And so he bought it and turned it into our office building. And so we then yeah. moved our administrative staff out of that building and their space then became showroom. And then we ran out of space to do our uh, in-shop repair work. So we added another building onto the back of the building. Right? It's such a classic story. You <laughs> oh, can say yeah. that the building is a victim of additions because it's not an open concept. It's a... It, it, it's beautiful and it's horrible all at the same time. Sure. It, it's a yeah. success story if you know how it went down, but you never would have started out planning on what we have as the end result. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but that, that that's just how the success happens. And so they add on, they buy the office building behind us, and we're still we still own the warehouse across the street from our second location that we had since closed down. And an opportunity came to buy a big piece of property behind our office building that then came off as an L to our property, if you will. And he took this big plunge in 1998, no, 97, to build a 23,000 square foot warehouse. And I remember very vividly, the bid on the job was $500,000. And... I, we didn't have it, and I know it was a mortgage property, and I know that it went over budget, and I know that my dad finished filling it himself. Oh. And I was old enough at that time to be involved in handing and holding the flashlight and doing a little bit of the work, but we ran out of we ran out of financing, we ran out of funding, and but I wasn't cognizant to anything. I remember hearing the stories of we're going to have to mortgage the house, we're going to have this and that, and. Right. It, I didn't understand it then. No. And you but wouldn't, even if you understand what it meant, you wouldn't have understand how it felt for your parents as the business owners to be making uh, those decisions. I don't know how they did it. Yeah. It's crazy. It's funny. Cause so my parents were small business owners for most of my life and I can not retail, but I can relate to kind of how you're talking about as a kid, you kind of know what's going on, but you don't. And they're talking about things at the right. dinner table and it's just over your head. And and, you know, you don't, um, you kind of don't care, right? Because you got everything you need. You're fine. Mom and dad go to work like every other parent. And you just have no idea the pressure that's going on in their minds and behind the scenes that you're just totally oblivious to as a kid. Yeah. And they still manage to be very, I don't know the right word, very well involved parents i mentioned that they were going a lot but at the same time an area that i'm weak in that they were not weak in was we didn't get anything handed to us growing up our first car 
was handed to us by money that his mother had left us when she passed off. But I had to work for insurance. I had to work gas. When I was 11 years old, I bought a bubblegum machine from Sam's. I didn't have the money to buy the bubblegum machine. So my dad loaned me the money for the bubblegum machine. And I had to pay him back with 75% of the profits every time I emptied the machine until I paid him back. And he kept a ledger <laughs> anchor on it, and he, had, and he held me to it till, uh. till it was paid off. And he would judge me. Those gumballs are stale. Your inventory is getting low. He was teaching me uh, through a gumball machine. That's amazing. And he thinks about that. Right, yeah. And that he owned that lot. That warehouse went on for years before he had the funding to start to build it. And it's two acres. And I don't know if you're familiar with a snapper comet, but it is that little lawnmower with the handlebars and the engine on the back that's a glorified push mower on wheels. And I was supposed to be the one, I got paid $20 to mow that two acres. I had to provide my own, he provided the lawnmower. I had to provide my own fuel and repairs, which doesn't sound bad, right? Except <laughs> he got to decide when I mowed it. And he didn't want to pay too often. So he would let that grass get two feet tall before I could go out there on a residential lawnmower <laughs> and I had to buy the belt. So if I tried too hard, too fast, and smoked the belt off, the belt was seven dollars. Yeah, I was making twenty bucks, and I got three dollars in gas. All right, so I would be able to use one third the width of that deck to make each one of these passes. It took me two days, twenty bucks, and, <laughs> but it taught me to work. And the first car that I ever bought brand new was a nineteen seventy two Chevrolet Monte Carlo. I love that car. I fell in love with that car. I wanted that car, and Dad. Sold it to me on dad credit, 2000 bucks, And he put a legal lien on the title in his name whenever I transferred the title to me. Way. Uh, like, if you look at the, and he's never, I've paid him back. He never released it, but I'm keeping it this way just for the nostalgia of it. But if you look at that title today, lien holder, John Bassler, and that's just how he was. And yeah, I hated him for it at the time. I get it now. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I hope I can grow that much of a uh, growing to be that good of a father to my kids. Uh, but the man was teaching. He was a born teacher. He was a natural born teacher. It's a weakness yeah. of mine, but he was so good. Is so good. I talked about what he did, but just celebrate. Getting ready to celebrate. No, we just celebrated his 76th <sighs> birthday last month. But, uh, but anyway, so we built that building and we operate out of that warehouse are just our, you know, what I call, we call our old showroom and yeah. our office building for years and years. And sitting next to us this whole time, you pull, we're on a state highway. We have good traffic, but you pull it off of the state highway to a shared drive. And it goes, as soon as you pull in on the left is my retail store. And if you drive, keep driving, you get to my office building. And if you keep driving, you get to my warehouse. But on the right, you would have previously passed what was originally a farmhouse. They had gotten an addition stuck to the back of it, and then this big addition stuck to the side of it and turned into an RV dealership, which I remember just barely as a kid. Okay. And big addition to the side of it, of it was the RV service base. Okay. And throughout my life, the property had been a church twice. It had been a real estate office. It had been a car line. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it had, been the kiss, it had been the kiss of death for everything but a church. And eventually, it actually killed the church. <laughs> 
Uh, and so it's like this cursed piece of ground, right? But the pastor of the church comes up to me one day and he says, he's a new pastor of the church. And he says, Jeff, he said, we got to leave. The parent church owns the real estate. You'll have to work out the transaction with them, but it's going to go on the market. I know you would be interested. So before it went on the market, I wanted to give you an opportunity. Thank you very much. I start negotiations and they shoot this number that is absolutely insane. And, <laughs> but I'm sitting here going, I can't risk it, but I can't be stupid either. Right. So I told him, I said, all right, how about you get an appraisal? I'll get an appraisal. And then we can discuss it. Preferably meet in the middle. They wouldn't even meet in the middle. So I overpay $80,000 for the property. Right? Yeah, what year was that? L, this was 2018. Okay. When we bought the building. Okay. But the church wanted to stay a little while. So we worked out a lease agreement with them to stay. Sure. And they were supposed to stay for a year, which was great because it would help cover the cost of the property and all of that. We stayed for three freaking months. And <laughs> we had not really even begun planning what we were going to do with the property. But it took our L-shaped lot and it made it a perfect square. And if you historically think back in the records, all of these parcels were once one parcel and now they're all back together again. Right. We did keep them as separate parcels in the event that I do screw this up so bad that we're going to sell this building off or rent it out to somebody else. We can, but we didn't know what to do. And so yeah. we started the planning phase and I am a stickler for old houses. And I mentioned it, it was an old apartment, but yeah. it was small. It had a staircase in the middle of it. Mm. It was five levels all in. And we spent quite a bit of money with architects making the house work and came to the conclusion. And we got a bid, $740,000. And I was going to have 7,000 usable square feet, but they were still on three levels. And I'm like, that is a horrible retail. Yeah. And so I go back to the architect. I said, draw me a picture with the house torn down. Just leave the RV bays up. And he comes back. And uh, we sat down there for about two hours. And I told him what I wanted and what my vision was for the place and two or three weeks later he shoots me an email and I didn't make one change from his initial assessment of what I what he thought I wanted. The building we built is 99% the building he drew the first time around. That's amazing. And yeah and I actually had been working with a different architect but I kept seeing this guy's signs in front of every cool building in town and I'm like that must mean something. <laughs> so I let my other architect go and I hired this guy and, and then I start shopping contractors and I settle on a contractor and I'm thinking uh, maybe a million bucks, give or take. And he comes back and goes, okay, it's 1.4 million. And, and I don't know how long it took me to start breathing again. Yeah. And I said, I'm going to have to think about that. And this is about, this is the end of 19 at this point. Then 20 hits. Yeah. And then we had signed contracts. It set a date and COVID hits. Yeah. And of course, everyone, my brother, who has amazing foresight, I was in New Orleans at the HPBA show when COVID became a real thing, taking jello shots on Bourbon Street in the middle of a COVID outbreak that 
not the whole world was yet believing. And I'm standing on the trade show floor, essentially by myself. If anyone that's listening or reading this knows what I'm talking about, because nobody else came. Best show ever, though, because you've got a lot of time with the vendors. I call my brother, and my brother calls me, and he's, hey, this is actually a real thing. And I'm like, what do you mean? And just tell me about it. He goes, what do you think is going to happen? He said, it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to us or the worst thing that ever happened to us. <laughs> I don't know. I said, how could it be the best thing? He goes, maybe people will be tired of being stuck at home and they want to buy our stuff. I'm like, how does that work if we get shut down? He's like, I don't know, but I think it'll probably work. And then I came home from New Orleans sick. Of course, can't get mm-hmm. tests. And, uh, Wait, did you have COVID? Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. No, no idea. Yeah. Didn't get a test. Unless... It was really neat at the time. You had to have come in contact with someone that had tested positive to get right. a test. But if yeah. nobody can get a test, how can you come in contact with somebody that has a positive test? Yeah, it was such a it was so, such a mess in those early days. And yeah, you just like so I think so many people just don't know. They're really sick and they're like, I think it was COVID, but we'll never know now. <laughs> at home uh, as a precaution, and they're talking about essential services only. Shut mm-hmm. and off. And that's all the guidance in the beginning. And when I thought essential, I thought pharmacies, hospitals, grocery stores. stores. Yeah. Yeah. Truly life essentials in that sense. Emergency repairs, maybe on heating appliances or something like that. But we had saved up the money to build the building over the years. And this was before any PPE stuff. This was before... The only word out on the street is everybody's going to have to close their doors and good luck. And so I spent three days working back and forth with my accountant and my banker. And I had worked out a way to pay every staff member their full pay for this period of time, reduced pay for this period of time. I had figured out a way to pay them all for three months. Yeah, you had a plan. And so I was able to send out a letter from home with an email. I'm like, guys, I know everybody's scared. I know nobody knows what's going to happen. But fortunately, we haven't started construction on this building yet. But we had the money to do it. And I've done the math. And your paychecks aren't going to stop for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I can only assume that gave them some comfort. And then that one month that everybody really did slow down, we went to we paid everybody for 40, but we were working them in shifts, half on, half off type things, because nobody was coming into the store. We didn't even know if we were supposed to be open. Well, could we be right. open? What was it? And then yeah. the governor issues the essential services cat list. And you didn't need to, to stretch very far to be an essential service. Yeah. And at this point, I'm still at home, but we're open because we have essential products according to this list they sent out. My sales manager calls me mm-hmm. I got a guy in here that wants to buy some patio furniture. Can we sell that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> hang on a second. And so I hang up and I called Lowe's. And I said, hey, I said, I know you guys are open, but the wife and I are interested in some patio furniture. Can we, can we buy that? And he says, oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, okay, I don't have a truck. Can you deliver it? He said, it'd be about a week, but sure, we can do that. I said, okay, thanks. I hung up, called my sales manager back. I said, it's game on. If we sell it, it's selling. <laughs> and very shortly, these people that I had furloughed but we're still paying mm-hmm. you guys gotta come back to work which <laughs> we can't keep up and yeah. i did that because it was the right thing 
to do, the figuring out how to pay it. And being fortunate enough to be in that position, that was where my mind was at the time. But what I didn't realize was by not laying any of my staff off, they couldn't collect unemployment and in some cases make more money to not work. And so many people couldn't call their employees back because they were making more money not working. Yeah. But because we didn't lay off a soul, they all had to keep working. What a hidden gem. (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't my intent. And it was scary for everybody. But as a leader, I took the role of half the role of my field estimator. Everybody's worried about going into people's houses. I'm like, all right, if I expect them to do it, I'm going to go do it. And so I was in five houses a day. And you meet every type of person at that point in time. The type that doesn't wear a mask, doesn't care if you don't wear a mask. Or the type that's wearing two masks and wants to make sure you've got two masks on. It's it's all over the board. You just got to roll with uh, it. (laughs) Yeah. Walk up to the door with your mask on. And if they tell you you don't have to wear that and you're comfortable not wearing it, take it off. That was my guidance to those guys. Yeah. And then, of course, there was all the the contacts and the exposures and nobody ever missed a paycheck. And I don't say that to be boastful. I say that because if you're running a business and you can find a way to do that and you run into a situation where you've got to send a teammate home for 14 days, uh, make sure the last thing they have to worry about is where their next meal is coming from. Yeah. And uh, and obviously, at that point in time, we're all doing great. And so 20 rolls through and we're on fire and we're wrapping up and I'm too busy to think. And my contractor calls me in 21. And he said, so what's your thoughts on that building? I'm like, man, I'm glad you called me. I've been meaning to reach out to you. I'm like, let's go ahead and do that. And as we bought the lumber package at the peak of the lumber market. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, that's a tough time to be doing a building project because that is like 2021 is just the prices were just very inflated. (laughs) Me and the... Me and the project manager from my construction firm that built them, we looked at the charts and, and I looked at some Ryan and I said, what made you place that order? And he told me, I said, oh, boy, you found the peak. I looked up at the chart and I'm like, that exact day was the highest lumber ever got. And I'm no. like, oh my God. No. <laughs> and so I'm like, this sounds about right. Okay. And we start construction and we ran into our first Really big, really big hiccup. I'm going to back up. I'm sorry to jump all over the place. But our groundbreaking was freaking cool. It can't be left unknown. So we took an old warrantied big green egg, and we filled it full of concrete, and we put a steel cable through it. And the guy that sets my swim spas and hot tubs when I need a crane comes out. The mayor's out there. And we're going to use this big green egg as a wrecking ball everybody's there. And I'm a little apprehensive that this ain't going to work. Well, and yeah. my contractor is <laughs> even more apprehensive. He's actually got his crew inside weakening the structure so that when it hits, it's more likely to do, do some damage. <laughs> I think we, we broke two windows, knocked one shutter off, and realized that this wasn't going to happen. But thank <laughs> God I had my... I had already had my excavator guy that was going to tear the building down. I had him on hand just in case. And I, and he was behind the building in a giant excavator where nobody could see him. And I called him and uh, I said, all right, Jerry, I said, this isn't working. He said, I'll be right there. And he comes out from <laughs> around the corner 
reaching over the top of the building and he takes a big old hook through the roof and pulls it down and everybody claps. It was a failed comedy. Wait, but, so but, but why anyways, didn't the why didn't the big green egg work? Was it just is it was it just not like not big a, enough or heavy enough? Not or? heavy enough. Okay, okay. I had no idea how heavy an actual wrecking ball was. I forgot sure. what the number was, but it's it's insanely heavy. Okay. That egg weighed seven hundred and fifty pounds full of concrete and it didn't it okay and a crane isn't the best thing to swing one from you really have to swing it from an excavator but i learned all this later heaven forbid i google that first but <laughs> but it still worked out it was cool we made the paper all that fun stuff and yeah uh, and then the real work begins and their first step is they had to figure out how to separate what used to be the rv bays from the house and its additions so that the house can come down and that took them about a month to, to surgically separate the two structures from each other. Yeah. And then they tore it down and it had a basement and they had to fill it in and all that great stuff. And, and then they poured the concrete and a lot of little hiccups here and there, nothing to write home about. And then they start the build out on the inside. And my contractor comes to me, he said, Jeff, I've got some really bad news. I'm like, why not? And then he said, in the drawings that I mentioned earlier, yeah, that the architect put together, it has all of these beautiful features, this woodwork, these beams, these things they call ceiling clouds, all of these architectural features that are just, they make it what it is. A 20-foot Gabian Tower of Stone waterfall out in front, it's beautiful. But guess what wasn't in the construction bid set? Any of that. It was all the stuff that, that all the stuff that made it cool. All the stuff that made it cool wasn't in the $1.4 million bid. Yikes. And that is some I'm, bad news. I'm like, that's what makes the building. And so we looked through all of it and we decided to change almost nothing. Just a few things we decided we could admit and they wouldn't kill the vibe. Sure. And we ran into what I call COVID stops along the way. Whether it was COVID infection in the crew or a COVID delay in materials, yeah. whatever the case is, yeah. the start stop on this was insane and it was driving me crazy. And when you go through something as stressful as that, and if you are a faith-based person, you find yourself getting really close to God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, a lot, a of, lot of prayers to get through death. the day. <laughs> yes. And I figured out that every COVID stop was God smacking me in the face and saying, hey, dummy, you're missing something. Hmm. And every one of those long pauses led to a modification of some kind that made it better. And one of our COVID stops happened through the holidays. And we had a Christmas party. And first Christmas party we had had in a long time. And I had acknowledged a few people there for some great things. And I didn't acknowledge my outsourced marketing firm that was there. I just, it, it just slipped my mind. And they'd been with us for 20 years. And I got pretty upset about it and walked in and quit the next day. Oh. And I was like, that kind of sucks. And he kind of left me the opportunity to rehire him if I wanted to. Yeah. But I felt, no, you quit. Let's just go with that. And I very hastily came up with a team, some of whom I had worked with 
before in, in other agencies and things like that. And it's like, hey, you want to come work for me? And we brought all of our marketing in-house, 100% of it. Wow. Uh, that graphic designer that I mentioned earlier that was a right. assistant, I'm like, hey, Holly, you want to do graphic design? She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I need somebody to do all our ads. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then I'm like, crap, where am I going to put these people? Yeah. And the building got a second story. Sure. And why not just add a second know. story? No, no big deal. I, that's yeah. just a small modification to my already yeah. like tripled and, budget. <laughs> yes. And we did what they call a trust room. So if you've ever seen like a bonus room over a garage. Yeah. Okay. Those are trust rooms. And so that's what we did. So externally, it still looks like a really tall one story building. And this space is a shotgun because the building's 90 feet long in that direction. And to hit your nine foot ceiling height, you have to come in pretty far from the edges of the roof. And it's a 30 foot wide, 90 foot long space that was actually not very much money because all they had to do was redesign the trusses and, and finish it out. So yeah. Uh, that was one of those awesome changes. And then another COVID stop happens. And my plan is for the hot tub showroom to have a stained concrete floor. And that had bugged me for a really long time. I'm like, you know what? We can't do that. We've got to put down something. And what did you have against stained up, concrete floors? I feel like that's the hot tub look, hot tub retail store look these days. <laughs> okay. Then some people are going to hate this next story but it's really worth it. <laughs> a while back, we were considering taking on another brand of hot tubs. And I'm, uni I'm uniquely located about two hours away from Indianapolis, Louisville, St. Louis, or Nashville. Okay. okay. So I can get to other non-competing stores pretty easily. And so I go shopping around looking at these hot tubs. And I pick a brand out in a chain retail store that's a reasonably nice showroom. It's nothing over the top, but this is my pick. This is what we're gonna. Yeah. This is what we're gonna do. And but I wanted my sales manager to to see it before I made the final decision. I said, well, let's go look at it in a different showroom. And so we went to another city and we looked at it in a showroom that was more warehousey. It had a concrete floor, exposed steel beams on the walls, and I didn't want it anymore. Oh. I was like, it was the same tub, model, color works fascinating but so i came up to this conclusion and i'm probably stealing this from somebody because i'm not smart enough to create this but if you go to home depot and sitting at the checkout register there's an ink pen in a jar for 99 cents that's a 99 cent ink pen sitting loosely in a plastic cup if you take that pen and you put it in one of those plastic vacuum sealed things and you hang it on a peg it's a five dollar pen but if you take that pin and you put it in a little leather case that snaps when you close it, that's a hundred dollars. And so the space creates value. And that was an assumption, right? Yeah. Pre-move from our old store, which had the stained concrete floor and, and concrete block walls that were painted and mm -hmm. what have you. Yeah. Uh, we sold entry-level tubs. You, you couldn't pull anybody up out of an entry-level tub if you dragged them with a chain. Interesting. I can't sell an entry-level tub now. Man, I'm that's so fascinating. Just, and yeah, it's funny because I, that's... I'm selling top-end tubs. 
Yeah, that's what, so our merchandising columnist talks about that all the time. It's, you know, what kind of, what kind of, what your store says about your merchandise. And that's something that she's always talked about, but how interesting that you've seen it played out like in your two locations. <laughs> so I made only two changes in the way that I sell hot tubs. I created essentially a dedicated hot tub salesperson. Sure. I used to have my sales team sell everything. And when you're physically in two different buildings, that's hard to do. And so I made this guy, he's my hot tub guru, right? Yeah. So it's a good salesman, but he only has one category essentially to be super knowledgeable on. He gets pulled over to the other side to sell grills sometimes. He has to know a little bit about that. Sure. But his job is to know everything about these hot tubs and to hold the customer's hand. And so I did that and I built that really nice leather box. And all of a sudden, I am blowout pricing my entry-level tubs just to rotate my inventory mm-hmm. while I can't keep my high-end tubs in stock. And, and in my world, the, the Jacuzzi Sundance world, your entry-level Jacuzzi is a 200 series. And yeah. your higher ends, your four and your 500 series. And we didn't even lay the building out to where we were focusing on those high-end tubs. Oh, really? The focal point of the room. We were laid the building out based off of our historical sales. It is, it's still a ladder, price yeah. point climber. But sure. People don't start at the bottom rung. They walk right up to the roof. And it's blown my mind. And to push it out further, so yeah, everybody's business all slide this year. So my revenue is down, I believe, last check, 5%. My profits are up, up 14%. Yeah. I've made more money in less sales than I did last year. Yeah. So while I won't hit the dollar last year, I physically am more profitable than I was. And I'm like, gosh, you are such an idiot. Why aren't you doing this more often? Let's chase margin and not dollars. Yeah. And that's that's so interesting. Yeah, that's so great because because this was because this you're, you're talking about this year, so you're not talking about selling the high end necessarily like during those crazy COVID times when people are just throwing money at you to get any hot tub at all. Like you're talking about now, that's still what's happening. Yeah. Wow. I April fifteenth ish of this year. That's possible. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. April 15th of this year. So in preparing for this new showroom, we started to order a lot more of other stuff, right? Sure. And my grill room in my old store had spilled into my furniture showroom. But we're coming into patio furniture season, and I got to get the grills out of the way of the patio furniture. So I rent a tent, and I put this tent up in the parking lot because the building's not done. And when our home show happens, and I told my contractor, I said, all right, guys, when I pull these tubs out from under this tent for the home show, when we come back on Sunday, they're going in the building. Like it or not. <laughs> and the building was nowhere near done. I had to get this weird temporary permit to even allow people to walk in the building because you can't let consumers in a job site. Yeah. And so... The contractor works magic, got some paper signed, whatever. And so we can walk customers over here. And we were trending down. 
Like we're in a small, small market and full transparency and good year. Our stretch goal every year is a hundred tons, a mm-hmm. hundred tons. And through the height of the pandemic, it was a tub a day, 365 tubs ish yeah. a year, a lot of times for us. And to do it with the same amount of people I was doing it before was even more stretch. <laughs> uh, then with all the slides would decline and I'm not quite back to a tub a day since I opened over here, but I'm climbing back towards it. So I'm no longer sliding down, pulling back up. And it is a trend. It's not a month by month trend. It's a quarter by quarter trend. But I, we were averaging, we've gotten down to averaging 11 tubs a month since the pandemic has started to recede. And now I think my average is closer to 21. So yeah. the only thing that happened were the two things I've already mentioned. Dedicated salesperson, best showroom I could possibly figure out how to build. Yeah. A showroom that, like I told you earlier, my only goal for it was to be on the cover of your magazine. No pressure, <laughs> not uh, but I want to get in. I ever secretly wished that maybe it would burn down in the middle of the night and we just wouldn't do it. Yeah, for a hundred different times. Uh, <laughs> and I'm curious too, because and, you said that the building wasn't done when you started to see sales start to come back down, which was not unanticipated. We all knew that sales were going to slow down at some point, but was that still a gut check for you? I had a few people say, I sure hope that everybody that wanted to buy a hot tub for the next decade didn't just buy it. Yeah, I heard uh, that too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, thanks. But Jacuzzi does a lot of market research and our market penetration is really low. Yeah. So that means that there's a lot of houses that still don't have others. Yeah. And guess what that means? There's a lot of opportunities out there. Yeah. And so my other goal was for this to become a destination. Okay. So the pandemic hit the accelerator on people being completely comfortable with making huge ticket purchases without ever touching the product. And that's a real danger for a brick and mortar retailer. And so you've got to give them a reason to come into your store. Yeah. Beyond the people that are just a hardcore, I'm not going to buy it without touching it type of thing. So goal one, cover your magazine. Goal two, a store everybody wants to come to. All right. And so along the way, I was just picking up, was traveling to other stores. I was looking at other best practices. I was, I was at a hotel, I don't remember where, getting cereal for breakfast out of one of those bulk dispensers, right? Sure, yeah. And I said, you know what? I could take those and fill them full of cooking pellets and sell cooking pellets by the pound and people wouldn't have to buy a whole bag of one flavor. And so I've got this wall that has 10 food dispensers full of pellets that you buy by the pound. And uh, it's real niche. People think it's really cool. It's never going to have a return on investment, but people talk about it. Right. And, and we brought in like the, the right brands, Along the way, the brands people want. We've got obviously we've got bigger heads. As soon as you come into my store, they get the biggest part of my footprint. 
And it's not just because I'm a distributor, it's because you won't make more margin on anything in my store than you will off of that product. And so they're, Fascinating. they're number one. But everything's a, everything is a store within the store. I have the big green egg section. I have the pellet section. I yeah. have the Napoleon section. I have the gas section. And so this isn't all blended together. You don't go down a row and it's this brand, that brand, this type, that type. No, here's my entire display of big green eggs and everything on the wall behind them is green and that is all those accessories right yeah there. and you take a step over and you just keep doing that all the way down the store yeah and we have an indoor demo kitchen where we can host cooking classes we are always smoking something i have an, an hvac system set up so even though the buildings are attached and there's an open hallway between them if you're in the grill side you smell smoke if you're in the hot tub side you smell eucalyptus okay and they don't blend they don't cross and the coolest thing that I get to occasionally experience is when somebody walks in the front door and they say, this is the coolest place I've ever seen. And it's really hard for me not to scream at that moment. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, if you want to win in a market where consumer spending is on the decline, consumers are still spending. They're still spending in your category, but you're not the only person in your market. So if you want to keep your numbers up, you've got to get more of your market share. And to do that, you've got to create a customer experience that is so freaking remarkable. It's not just the best experience they've had shopping for a grill or a hot tub. It's the best experience they've ever had shopping for anything in their life, and they can't help but wait to tell their friends about it. And that's the goal here. And so when you get to the hot tub side of this, I've got this totally awesome setup, and I didn't realize I'd have to bribe people for a day at the spa, but that's what I would have to do. Our whole premise is try before you buy. Sure. You wouldn't drop 20 grand on a car without taking it around the block. Why on earth would you do that with any $20,000 purchase? But once I get you in, once I got you in the building, I'm also going to have you try out my uh, hybrid sauna mm. and my steam shower with all of the whistles and bells. And you're going to get exposed to my retractable screens. So here's how the setup goes. So not everybody's an exhibitionist, right? So they want to come in after hours. Yeah. But the entire point of the store is glass. That's no problem. I push three buttons and I have retractable screens that come down over every window in the front of the building. 90% blockage. Nobody's seeing it. Yeah. The salesperson can come upstairs. The consumer can close the door. And then once they get into the steam, shower, and sauna demo area, that's a private locked off area. They have complete privacy in that part of it. So I want them to come in. I want them to feel the benefits of both types of saunas because saunas is a big thing coming in our market. Like it or not, that's we've got some dollars coming there. Totally agree. And what better way to, to expose people to both types of saunas than to use a hybrid sauna? And then I'd never intend to install a steam shower. I don't think that will ever happen. I hope to sell the equipment because it's good money. I want people to have come here to have tried out the five hot tubs they were interested in, pop in the swim spa just to say that they've done it, and get the sauna and shower experience, then leave there, meet their friends for dinner, and talk about it. Yeah. That's what I want to have happen. Honestly, like, I, I kind of want to go to your store and just throw a party because it sounds like it could be real fun. <laughs> so the last couple that just recently did it, they brought their friends. Yeah. Why, and, why, and not? Brought, why not? Why <laughs> not? But that customer... And there's a lot of truth in this. People, after they try it, pick a different hot tub 
than they thought they were going to buy. This customer was going to get a small swim spa. After trying out a small swim spa and a big hot tub, they changed the order. And they were so thankful that they didn't get that other time. This met their needs so much better. And if I can just get that through the consumer's head, but they don't want to do it. So now I drive them with gift cards. Uh, (laughs) If you come in and you try it all out, I'll buy you dinner. And why not? Uh, You're, it's like then, a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You wanted to show up and do this thing and then go out to dinner with your friends. You just didn't know you were going to be buying them dinner. <laughs> and so if I can just get people through the machine, I'll get them to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, what's what's the resistance? What do people say when they're like, eh, I'm not interested in that right now. Okay. You know. And so the response is, oh, you absolutely don't have to, but there's all these awesome benefits to just doing it one time. Just try it out. It's, it doesn't cost you anything but your time. And yeah. we're going to get it. We're going to nail it. I have no doubt. It's just what's the magic sauce to get them mm-hmm. to do it. It's going to be, if the gift certificate doesn't work, it's going to be, if you'd like to save $200 on your tub, try these three things. Yeah, for sure. And one way or another, I'm going to get them through, through the relaxation machine, as I like to call it. And yeah. that's where all of our magic happens is exposing a consumer that can afford our products to lots of products at the same time. They may never ever buy any of them, but their friend might have just learned that you can buy a product at Vassmeyer's and they didn't know that before. Right. And yeah, the other day I learned that the other That's day I found nice. out that my neighbors have been like coveting a sauna. I would have never known this. She's man, yeah, Tom just he just he really wants a sauna. <laughs> I'm like, really? It's just it seems like a random thing to have on your wish list, but they're so beneficial and he's a super health nut. <laughs> so another COVID pause change. We were gonna have three swim spas on the floor. We dropped it to two and put in five saunas. Wow. Because all of a sudden people were coming to look for those. All right. And in in our world, we've got to be constantly on the lookout for products that require skilled labor to service, install, deliver. Otherwise, everybody's going to buy it on Amazon and we become irrelevant. And our number one thing is we've got to grow our installation and service team. We, we've got to be training those younger guys in. They've yeah. got to be leads. I would assume that every single technician I've got right now or apprentice will be a lead one day with another apprentice under them. And I can't make it happen fast enough. Yeah. Uh, right now, if you buy a fireplace for me, you are waiting six or seven weeks for me to come okay. put it in. And because of labor, I've not got, because of product shortages at this point. Yeah, because, yeah. Right. Certainly still have product shortages. I mean, as I set mom and dad down a little while back and I said, Hey, I said, did you, did you intentionally end up with a product mix that makes us semi-recession proof? And she said, what do you mean? I'm like, we've got products for the good times and we've got mm-hmm. products for the hard times. And so when one's not going to sell, the other one will. I watched it. I watched it through the recession. Pre-pandemic, some of our biggest years were in the recession. And when people are scared, they revert back to their ancestral DNA. And guess what? Fire is ingrained in our DNA to be yeah. a source of comfort and warmth and safety. And that will always be the case. We definitely and, bought a fire pit during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. And so right now people are worried about the economy, fuel prices and shortages. So I, they can't make wood burners fast enough. Wow. Uh, but at the same time, my hot tub sales are still climbing. 
So I'm sitting here in the sweet spot. If I'm repeating myself, I'm sorry, we're down 4%, but yeah, I am. Our business is down. Our profits are up. Great. Less customers, less headaches, more money. Game on. Uh, <laughs> That's the goal, right? <laughs> I don't care if our gross drops in half, if our profits go up. Who cares? But I think there's so many lessons to to be learned from what happened when we built this building that I'll never fully understand it. I'll never fully appreciate it. Yeah. And I'll never fully appreciate my, my, my brother and my family. Like when we started this project, but okay, guys, this is going to be really hard and it's all of our money. We all have a stake in the company. So it's our money, but I can't, be burdened with four people making decisions. Yeah. Let me give you budgets, you approve them, and let me build it. Or somebody else needs to take point on it because I'll lose my mind. And very graciously, they looked over the numbers when I had something that was going over budget, yeah. that needed to go over budget, whenever we learned that all the cool stuff wasn't in the bin. And they supported me 100% through the process and gave me practically complete freedom to do whatever I thought would work. My brother's a huge grilling guy. And so I'm like, Hey, I want to have a whole bunch of rubs and sauces here. Why don't you research that out? Let's see what's hot. What's not. Let's get a hundred different options in here. You got to be a destination and to be a destination. You got to have it all. I saw butcher paper by the foot. It's just, it's all kinds of niche stuff, but it's something that you don't find anywhere else around here. Yeah. And, that's going to be the reason people come back in here. And if that doesn't work, then I just wasted a fortune and I'm going to go cry in a beer for maybe <laughs> ever. But, uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, far, so, but so far so it, is, far, it is, yeah, so far it is working. And it's interesting. I talked to a lot of different retailers and, and I've been in a few stores that have the same attitude that you do as far as making it a destination. And yeah, maybe you carry a bunch of rubs and sauces that aren't going to, you're not going to make money off of them, but it's something that draws people in. And when they're in there, it gives you something to talk about, gives you something to give them, is a nice sort of segue to a bunch of to a bunch of other things. I'm curious. So you said that you said that you traveled around a bit looking at other stores and things like that. Were there any in particular, they don't even have to be in the hot tub industry, that places that you took specific sort of inspiration from when you were working on putting this all together? Uh, several. And yeah. then they generally took you featured a store in one of your magazines. I cannot remember who it is. They're not even that far away from me. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you had a great shot of them in their showroom. And this feature came out about the same time I had to decide if I was going to put up these ceiling claps. Yeah. And they have a beautiful showroom. And you featured it very well with this big black drop ceiling. It's just vast. And that's what I was going to have if I didn't do the clouds. And I looked at that and I said, the only thing that could make that room better would be features in the field. <laughs> and that article cost me $75,000. <laughs> I am uh, really good at spending other people's money. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I bet it was, I bet it was leisure. backyard. And I bet it was backyard leisure. The Michaels family. It, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Yes. And I was looking at that I was like, man, the show was so perfect. And then I'm like, First off, I got to get up there, which I haven't done yet. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, I'm looking at this going, that's 
I think the clouds would help. I think it's worth this obnoxious amount of money to build these. <laughs> and it inadvertently gave me a lighting situation where at night the store glows. And it's awesome because these clouds are these kind of oval, almost round. They're over 20 feet long. They hang two feet out of the ceiling. And they're, they're, uh, they have like a track around the inside of them that has really high-end, full-color spectrum LEDs in it. And so at night, we pull all the lights down in the store, and we push those LEDs up really hard. And when you drive by, you, you're caught by that blue or that purple yeah. Yeah. as things went by. Or, and then other things that, that didn't work, like we had to custom order this wall covering. It's wallpaper, for lack of a better term, but it's not. And it shows up, and it didn't match the color sample. It was <sighs> borderline green. Okay. And I said, you can't put green in a hot tub show Absolutely. If your hot tub showroom's green, people aren't buying from you because your hot tubs look green. I promise. And, lot, yeah. And I so, never thought I've never thought about that before because green is such a like a natural, like backyard, calming sort of color that normally you would think that w- would work great in a hot tub showroom. But how fascinating. Yeah. The, you, if your water looks yeah, green, that's not a good thing. If the majority of your inventory full of water is a white tub with a green wall behind it, it looks mm-hmm. green. Yeah. And I was like, this can't, this is, I don't know if you want to call that turquoise. I don't know what you call that, but that is, does not match the sample. And I brought the sample down. I'm like, look, I have a three by three sample of what it was supposed to be. And I'm like, yeah. start over. uh, wait let me ask you though so have you been in hot tub showrooms with green walls and green tubs that made you think that had you seen that that had made it click for you no okay i hadn't but we had something some display we did oh we had set up a set of patio furniture in our old showroom with a green umbrella okay and the way the light hit it i was like Ooh, that's not good. <laughs> so that always just kind of yeah. stuck in my head of yeah. it can't be green. It must Got be it. blue. It can't even risk being green. Mm-hmm. We're not getting anywhere near that spectrum of color. But the decision of color palettes and things like that. So that, mm-hmm. you want to talk about areas that I'm just not good at. But I've got staff here that picks out, and my mother's fantastic at it, and my wife's fantastic at it, that, that pick out like all of our patio furniture. And I've got mm-hmm. a Another gal that goes with her, her name is Jana. She's fabulous. And they're really good decorators, designers. And so when it came to a color decision, I did step out. I was like, no, that's not me. Sure. We're going we're gonna to bring in somebody else. And the, the team there at the architecture firm had somebody, but they didn't have a feel for my vision Oh. products quite sure. as much yeah and so instead of letting that foggy things up a little bit i let my staff already picks the colors for everything that we do pick the colors and i thought how wonderful is it is it that we've got the ability to paint our own staff let them make the decision, let them get some ownership there, let them be able to say, hey, I did that. Yeah. But to your prior question of where all did your inspiration came from, so I was at a Big Green Egg dealer conference and they had shot a picture of somebody's Big Green Egg display and it had this little metal pin roof over the top of it hanging over the accessories. I was like, yeah. man, that's really cool. So now I have six of them. And then <laughs> under, 
and each one of them has a little sign that goes above it that says what section you're in. And we just, I was in Hawaii years ago, and we always knew we were going to do something like this someday. And I was in some retail outlet there, and they had this, this style of shelving that they might have been selling flip-flops, but I was like, I could make that work. And they had a lot of unique vintage antique pieces that were part of their displays. And I'm like, oh, we love this. So yeah. there's an old furniture manufacturer that shut down here that made furniture for the White House and the Queen. And that's all they did. And I've got their work pictures. I've got, I've got carts that used to haul laundry out of closed cleaners that had been a hundred year Evansville staple that I now sell charcoal off of. Okay. So we found <laughs> when we built that warehouse and we were so poor, our part of our shelving was the first hand painted sign we ever had. And my brother found that or, or my warehouse manager wanted to do when we were reorganizing the warehouse. And so we cleaned it up and it's on display in the store. And then we uncovered our first backlit sign that had the picture of the fire station that we used to operate out of as part of our logo. And, and Jason Myers and relit that. So we brought our history, our city's history, into the grill side of it anyway. And I like to call it Cracker Barrel light. So <laughs> it's not super cluttered with stuff. Right, but yeah. it is sprinkled with antiques. Yeah. Uh, Belt-driven ceiling fan in the ceiling. Just things to really set the mood of, of what it is and you'll never walk in here without walking past the smell of smoke and if you sell grills that's important if yeah. you sell hot tubs it better not smell like chlorine and it better not smell like smell and <laughs> we spent a lot of money to make sure that if that happened we could fix it i can exchange all the air in this building in 30 minutes oh, wow. a button to purge those smells out of here like on shock day for example when you just can't get rid of that smell there's a button for that oh, uh, wow when we built it, we made sure that there were plenty of ways to get hot tubs in and out and that the aisles would be wide enough so that if we had to sell the floor model, we didn't have to move 10 other ones. The front door is actually a car lot door. So where one side of it can be opened and it's a six foot pane of glass. And then the other side of it is a standard 36 inch door. I can fill every hot tub with hot water in 30 minutes. So if somebody calls in last minute and wants to try out a hot tub that I don't have hooked up, I can accommodate that. No problem. Yeah. So we just really went through the nuts and bolts and tried to think of every problem we had with what we had and tried to engineer it out of it. And we only missed a few places that we've discovered so far. Yeah. Very happy with the results. Yeah. No, it looks fantastic. Somehow over the years, I'm just going to say I didn't have anything to do with it. We've acquired a railroad crossing sign and we repurposed it. And we have our customers thought we were our competitors. I had this problem because Bass Myers, which is the name of our company, yeah. is on this building, but it is the subtitle. And, oh gosh, who wrote Storytime? Gosh, what's his name? Uh, Donald Miller. Uh, he, uh, he says, if you confuse, you lose. And mm. our brand is strong, but what is Bass Myers? It's somebody that moves into town. Sure, yeah. But the barbecue supply company it's pretty self-explanatory. Jacuzzi hot tubs of Evansville, that's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. So that was my thought process going into it. Not realizing the loyal customers that we had that would see that sign, think we were the competitor, walk into my old showroom looking to buy a hot tub because they wanted to buy it from Bassfire. So there's mm-hmm. that 
mix. I've got loyalty and I've got newcomers. So we yeah. took this railroad crossing sign and over the cross X, now it says spas with an arrow and it says grills with an arrow and patio furniture with an arrow. So it guides people which building to yeah. go to and it helps unify that we're all one company. And sure. if I ever financially recover from this, we'll remodel the front front of our old building to match this building. So it'll be very obvious that we're all one. That they're all together. One thing. Yeah. 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 That sounds great. I, it has been a pleasure to talk to you and learn about your store and your family and the history of your company. Do you want to end on the Spa Retailer 5? Absolutely. So do you remember what the first sale you ever had personally? Yes. <laughs> and I wasn't a teenager. And it was at a tent sale back when that was a thing. Yeah. And it was a Duquesne gas grill that not only did I sell it, but I got paid $10 to put it together. I was paid by the grill. But we were really busy and I was talking to a customer about a grill, just, I don't know, 10, 11 year old kid. He said, okay, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> I didn't get a commission though. Oh, that's amazing. So was, was Bassmeyer's your first like real W2 paying job? It was, it wasn't my only one. My dad did fire me twice. Oh, nice. Uh, I have a, yeah, I have worked a couple of years when I was in high school at different places. And to that point, Make sure if your kids want to run your business, you make them go work for somebody who's not their dad. Uh, <laughs> you'll get more management education there. Yeah, that's definitely that's some definitely yeah. good Warren advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you don't want to get fired, be respectful of your parents. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so what's the wor worst product or idea or biggest flop you've ever tried in your store? Solar panels. Okay. Yeah. And it was because we were doing too many things at once and we were too late to the game. Got it. Literally didn't sell one. All right. Oh, not even one. Yikes. That is a flop. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, and it's simply because I was trying to do too many things at once. Yeah. Yeah. That I couldn't concentrate any attention on it. So what's the best idea or the biggest game changer you've ever made in your business? Big green egg. Okay. Without a doubt. Hands down. The residual sales are where the money's at. People come back in for charcoal time and time again, and then they go, crap, your charcoal's expensive, and they go buy the cheap crap, and then they throw that away, and they come back, and they keep buying your charcoal. Yeah. And Big Green Egg's like the only brand that doesn't cut out the retailer. If you go on biggreenegg.com to buy a Big Green Egg. Yeah that sale gets pushed through a retailer. Yeah. It's not shipped to you in a box and kicked off on your front porch. It goes mm -hmm. to a distributor, assigns it to a retailer, the retailer handles the sale. So you can't, the internet can't get in your pocket with that one yeah. client right there. It's true, man. And I've they, tried to buy a big green egg online and I couldn't. <laughs> and you can now, but it's still going to come through your local, local dealer more than yeah. likely. Yeah. So it's, I'm, it's, that the big green egg, that being your answer is curious to me because I know a lot of good retailers in the hot tub industry who've tried eggs and kept them for a while. And then for some, 
that residual sale part was not really in their wheelhouse. They didn't like that part of it because it was like, man, I got to keep these little bags of charcoal on hand and it's just a pain and it makes my store look messy. I think it's so interesting, like the different mindset and different approach to selling the same item in different markets too sometimes. And you know how one dealer can be totally successful with it and another one is, yeah, it did okay. <laughs> I mentioned earlier in our conversation, don't dabble. And yes, I think that's the key to it. Is if mm-hmm. you're going to sell anything, sell it. And if yeah. your store looks messy because of it, it's because you didn't clean up your store. <laughs> it's really, if you bust a bag of charcoal, which is going to happen, and you don't sure. sweep it up, and people stop it all over the floor, you're going to have a messy store. Pick yeah. up, pick, pick up yourself. Me too. I think that stuff. Well, and I think that stuff can look cluttered if you don't make the space for it, right? You really have to have a dedicated area. It's not like you can throw one in the front of your store, set up a little accessories display next to it and call it good. That's probably not going to get it done in this arena. Or if you put a pallet of grass seed in front of your display, probably not going to sell very many of them. Okay. If you block your, I've seen that. I'm like, I was going to say that's very specific. (laughs) I walked into a store one day and I was like, I bet they don't do well with those eggs since I can't physically touch it. Yeah, I can sure, see it, but sure. I can't touch it. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I tell people, obviously, pellets in the grilling world, pellet grills are just devouring grilling dollars. And nobody can argue that. But retailers need to look at their balance sheet and their margins and decide if it's worth the effort to double your money to push to sell a product that has better margin. And when some of these pellet rolls go on some of these specials, you're making nothing, losing money. And you can almost buy all of them online. <laughs> and so if, you're, if you've got the same amount of space, but you can make, say, 38 or 40% over here, or you can make it in the teens over here, why wouldn't you at least give a good amount of space to a product that's going to pad your pocket back to less transactions, more profit. Yeah. It just, so what we're going to do, I promised myself, I'd give it one calendar year. But <laughs> we're going to look at all these brands that I brought in and we're going to decide what needs to shrink. Got it. Cause it's not producing money. And yeah. so you got to work for it. It's not, you got to cook. You got to cook. You get your store has to smell like smoke when you hit the front door or when you're okay. walking to the front door. You got to yeah. put them in that mindset. Got it. So you've we mentioned cook anything in We just smoke. Uh, we have two. That's just pellets with a little fire starter in it. Yeah. That's all we do. That's It'll crazy. Burn for eight hours. I haven't cooked food a week. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier doing a lot of reading and listening to podcasts and stuff. So do you have a favorite book or TV show or podcast? Something that you either use to give yourself an escape or to better yourself and your business? Yes. Yes and yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, for the for the hearth industry, um, a guy named uh, Kim Reed, who has the It's Fire Time podcast, if you're in that industry, don't not listen to his content. All right. Uh, he's amazing. I find that uh, there's a lot of wisdom that comes from the management of major companies that have decided to write books. Absolutely. Uh, I'm reading one right now. It's called Creating the Magic, and it was written by a guy that ran Disney for a while. Mm -hmm. And 
the first, it's really long book. The first half of the book was just how they create the magic. And I was like, that's all cool. And now then the second half of the book is teaching me to be a better leader, yeah. which I think is super important. And in I five books that I intend to address either an area of weakness or an area of interest. And so I, I'm a chronic starter. So like right now I'm reading The Power to Get Things Done as well. Because <laughs> you know what? I've got I'm, that book. I don't think I've ever finished it. <laughs> Couldn't finish it, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. I'm going to finish it, though. I'm at least uh, going to finish the book, okay? It's horrible. I think I, picked it, then, no, I think I just picked it up at the wrong time. Like, I picked it up in the first year of business ownership, and I was so overwhelmed that even reading that book felt like something I could not accomplish. So I, I could probably manage it now and take some things from it, but at the time, it just felt like one more thing to do, and I was, like, I was too overwhelmed. Oh. <laughs> and so that... That's the problem that we do, people with our personalities. We just decide, let's just go do everything. But legitimately, you can't multitask work. Right. And I've tried a thousand apps on productivity and all of this. And Oh, I'm right there with you. It's just discipline. You write down everything you got to do. You scratch off everything that doesn't matter. And then you prioritize what's left. And... You don't let anything interrupt you unless it is legitimately on fire. And I am very slowly becoming better at it. I, yeah. I am in preschool with it right now, but God, I really suck at finishing projects I start. Yeah. But I'm good. I'm I, usually I good at with that. It's, uh, I'm good at finishing things. I just, it's like, a, it's just like I sacrificed everything else to do it. I'll kill myself to get it done. And then it's, was that really necessary? Did you really need to do that? Probably not. (laughs) Yeah. And and, you know, almost every day I start out, I drop the kids off at school, I pull across the street and I'll either pull out some religious book or the Bible itself and Mm. just take, even if it's three minutes. Yeah. And you will be so surprised how many times those three minutes there's something bothering you or you can't figure out and the mm-hmm. answer pops out in the middle of, of a 2000 year old book. Yeah. So, oh man, no, that's so know, true though too, because a couple of years ago, it was last year, I went through and did the Bible recap, which it's like reading the Bible chronologically throughout a whole year. And so every day I was, I made a really good practice of doing that. The, the recap or the, the Bible in a year? No, that was the Bible recap with Tara Lee Cobble. Okay. <laughs> There's my plug guys. But that was so true. And I made such a great habit of it that year. And then I got out of the habit of it. And it probably would have been really beneficial at some points this year. <laughs> yeah. So I, I did the Bible in a year version. I think I made it to day 172 or something like that. But it's still there. It doesn't mean I'm not going to finish it. I just, okay. That's fine. You don't have to you do know? it in a year. That's a goal. That's not a. <laughs> so what I find is I carry around in, in, in my briefcase, in my vehicle, a wide of at least 10 books and some of them are faith-based some of them are the john grisham type stuff and, and some of them are business and development books and i just decide what is calling me to read at that moment of that day when i may touch on four or five of them for five minutes a piece a day none of us truly have the time to sit down and just read for two hours at least i haven't figured it out and I don't watch TV that much. I don't social media that much. So I'm not, I've already sacrificed enough sleep. So I don't know where I'm going to read more books, which is what I love about I have an Audible subscription and I love Audible, but then I get stuck if I'm listening to something. The EOS system 
there's a book called Traction. Yes. And it's all a lot about, you know, how to run your business and this and that. But, huh. but it's so over my head that I had to then go get the paperback version of the book so I could follow along and make right. And so I'm like, God, <laughs> no, that that's it, good it, though. I do the same thing. Like I, I love to read, but I'm not sure I can tell you the last time I actually picked up a book and read it. Like I, I listened to pretty much 99% of everything yeah. because that's, you know what? This is a lot to go. Just, just, you can <laughs> see that in the back of my room there. That's, yeah. that's the collection that moves with me to, right now. Got you it. know, I, I drug them all out to take a minute before we talk to, to just settle my mind for a second and I'll throw them and I have the big duffel bag you can't see up here and they'll get thrown in the back of the Bronco on the way home and oh that's so funny change a few of them out but it's very and for me I've got to have the paper mm. I got to have the smell I got to touch it I got to have the book see but and you're my, my person because that means you're my person because you're the one who I will always be sending a magazine print copy to. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because I, I don't want to see the digital version of it. Right. I want that yeah. to I want to circle the things that are cool. I want to rip the page out and share it with somebody. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's so just funny. who I am. And, you know, I was in my deacon of my church's office with a parish issue and I brought one of my Bibles in there and I opened it up to show him something and he started to laugh because... I, I am a highlighter, an underliner, a right in the margins, and he goes, sure. one side of me is destroyed to see you scribble all over your Bible, but the <laughs> other side of me is really excited that you took the time <laughs> to be that in it, and I don't know which side of me I like more right now, but that's, and when I, so I've got a thing, when I finally finish a book, I write a book report. Oh, so really? I, yeah, so I go through the book, and if there's a, sec- a section that I find super important, mm-hmm. I bend the bottom of the page and I underline or highlight what was important to me. And then I open up my Google Drive and I start a new file and I go through that book and I type out what I really found valuable in it. So that's my quick reference guide. Yeah. I, I know I read that book, but I don't remember what I got out of it. But I can pull this out and go, yeah. oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's and, such a great uh, that's that, such a great idea. Yeah, because I can look back at, I've read like over, I think I've read almost 60 books this year. And there's many that I could go in and be like, I don't remember what that was about. I know I read it. I don't read them the again. <laughs> Jeff, I have taken well, up enough. Point, before I did that, I would just, yeah, before I did that, I would actually sign the date I finished reading the book so I could check to see if I read it. Yeah. See, I'm all about the app. So I have the Goodreads app. I keep try. I set a reading goal for the year. I mark them all down. I do all the things. <laughs> But Jeff, so, I've taken up hey, way too I, much I of your time today. You yeah, no, thank you so much for doing this. This no, was this, really fun. This is like crossing the finish line for me. Uh, <laughs> all right, great. Thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. All right, have a great day. Thanks, you too. Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.